This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. Wow, I feel like it's been forever, but uh, we're back. We back with a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined, as always, by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tariga Foster-Brasby, and two-time WNBA champion, Devro Peters. Did y'all miss me? Maybe a little, a little. bit. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That one did not sound genuine. Okay. We didn't plan I, that. I have not been on this podcast since the end of Neil Ivy's interview, and I don't feel any love. You were Zero. missed. You were absolutely missed. Absolutely. You know That's fine. At least y'all are honest. You know what I'm saying? Don't be saying stuff you don't mean. Okay. Um, we got a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right into the show in a moment. But in case you have not heard, WNBA playoffs start this week. That's right. Mark your calendars because September 11th is going to kick off the first round of the WNBA playoffs. Keeping in mind, we are still in our new format, which means there are two rounds of single elimination games. Those will be September 11th and also Sunday, September 15th. Semifinals will start on the 17th of September. That is a best of five. And the finals will start on September 29th, also the best of five. Um, really quickly, the teams that have made the WNBA playoffs, because I know y'all been slacking on keeping up with everything. Hopefully you know some of this. But um, the teams that made it, the number one seed is the Washington Mystics, number two, the Connecticut Sun. So they will get a uh, double bye in these first rounds to the semifinals. Los Angeles, the Sparks finished third and Vegas finished fourth. Those <coughs> two teams will play on this Sunday, September 15th. They avoid one single elimination game. But on this Wednesday, we have the 5, 6, 7, and 8th seed all in action. Big matchup, um, I think, for Chicago, the number 5 seed, is they will welcome the Phoenix Mercury, always a dangerous team in postseason. But can they do it this year is the question. And then the Minnesota Lynx had an opportunity to secure uh, a home game on Sunday when they took on the Sparks, but they were unable to do that. Seattle took care of business in Dallas, so Minnesota will play at Seattle. Um, those two games again this Wednesday evening, September 11th. But we got some other things to talk about, so let's go ahead and just jump into the first quarter. First quarter. Before we get all off into our uh, playoff picture and our analysis of that, we do have some other things that have happened very quickly over the course of the last couple of weeks. So we're going to do a LaChina's clipboard where we're going to let her talk about some of the things that were important to her. And first on that list was obviously the enshrinement of Teresa Weatherspoon into the Hall of Fame. And I literally felt like somebody was cutting onions the entire time because like for at least the first five minutes of her speech, like tears were fall. I don't know where they were coming from. It was just an emotional moment for me. Yeah, it was a big moment, and I think, you know, it's one that we're definitely going to talk about more. We're actually going to try to get Teaspoon on uh, the podcast, but we would be remiss if we did not at least mention Teaspoon's contributions to the game. I mean, she was a staple. We talk so much about, uh, you know, the Cheryl Swoops and the Cynthia Coopers and Rebecca Lobos and Lisa Leslie's in the early days, uh, the Tina Thompson's of the WNBA. Uh, but Spoon's someone that, to me, often gets left out, and... 
you know, not that on paper she was never an MVP or anything like that. So we're not talking about, you know, her being on the Mount Rushmore by any stretch. But when it comes to the branding of the league, the popularity, her style of play, her passion, her energy, to me, it, she's unmatched in those areas. Um, her defensive prowess is well noted, not only in accolades, but and just watching the way she played. And, and so we'll, we'll get more into Spoon in, in future episodes. But, um, you know, her, her cornrows, you know, was something mm-hmm. that I, I stands out to me as a part of her brand and something that that as a kid, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I love her hair. They're always in these designs. And then just how hard she played and the passion, obviously the big shot. We all remember that. Um, but just someone who it was very deserving of this honor and um, someone who I think doesn't get enough credit for how she anchored the WNBA and just professional women's basketball in general in the early days. Dev, any remarks? I agree. I mean, I, I just remember for me, like growing up as a kid, um, she was a staple for me, obviously, because of the shot. I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I was watching it. And like on top of that, like Lashana said, her brand just like for me, um, you know, growing up and watching her play and her energy on the court. Um, and that's how I wanted to be, you know, and like her defense and just remembering like how big of a player she was and how important she was for me to watch um, and to like grow up and, and have this goal of getting to that, um, to that moment and being able to play in the WNBA. So for me, I just like remember her as being like huge as far as like representation for me and like who I wanted to be and what I wanted to grow up and do um, and being able to watch that growing up um, and see herself in that. So I, I thought this moment was amazing and awesome to be able to watch her speech um, and just everything she was able to start um, for the league and, and bring in and still does now, you know, even her contributions now. Um, I thought that was just super dope to see somebody that you've admired and um, grew up watching be able to uh, accept that honor. Absolutely. Well, we want to send another congratulations out to Teaspoon and uh, everything that she's done for the game. And again, we hope to get her on the podcast very soon um, so that we can go one on one with such a great player and great person. Um, moving on from that, we also had a little bit of, I don't want to say controversy, but conversation was definitely sparked over the last uh, few days based on an article that was released on The Athletic, which basically polled several players across the league. Now, they do make mention that they were able to poll at least um, someone from every single team. Um, But basically what this article was is that it went into detail with some questions uh, across the league as far as players who uh, they felt were the best of all time, players who were the best dressed, who was the most overrated, underrated, who would you pick first to to play? It was basically a, a, a 2019 player poll about different issues that are facing the league as well. And I think it was a great idea for them to get the viewpoints of the players because that's something that we don't always get a chance to. Um, before we started the podcast, Dev and I were kind of talking about how we hoped or had wished that they had been able to poll more players, but understand that sometimes things that are supposed to be anonymous aren't always anonymous. And that may have played a factor in the reason why, you know, more people weren't necessarily polled, but I'm very interested in getting your opinion because Twitter was on fire based off this. So Lachina, we'll start with you. What were some of the things that stood out to you in this article um, or, or something that struck your attention that you, you know, couldn't wait to get these takes off on? Yeah. um, First of all, shout out to the athletic for doing this because I think it's a brilliant idea um, you know, 
and Deb, you can speak to this, but as a player, you often have things on your mind that you don't want to come back and haunt you, right? So, like, for example, we remember Courtney Williams in the playoffs posting a picture you know, celebrating in the face of Diana Taurasi. Well, that didn't go well for her on the back end, right? Like, you got to be really careful uh, when you are playing against different players, how you present them, where you position them, how you speak about them. Um, So that's the first thing that stood out to me was that they were able to get players to give their opinions on other players. Um, But also, it's extremely important for them to be able to voice their opinions on other topics that are happening uh, within the league or, you know, different issues and things like that and not have to worry about people coming at them and, and not that a, any of them care. Like, Dev is the kind of player when she played, she didn't care. Mm-mm. So she was able to on her bit. mind anyway. But um, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like, like obviously, there were some things that, uh, you know, you could take offense to if you're a player like Candace Parker, which she didn't take offense to it at all. But 20%, I think, of, of the players that were polled said that they feel like she's the number one overrated player in the league. She didn't take offense to it, but it was interesting to hear players say that. Um, and I know we'll maybe get into that a little bit more, but even the, the candidness, and I thought it was just funny the way that they presented their comments too. It was like, yeah. you know, one, I think there was something about trash talking and somebody just said, listen, it's gotta be somebody from Dallas, period. It's yeah. somebody from Dallas. I don't know who, but <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so those are the moments where you just like see, and, and it also gives us some insight into what's happening in those little moments on the court. Cause we see some trash talking. We don't see it all. Uh, and and so just how players feel about who they're matched up against, who they think doesn't get enough attention, like players that are underrated, mm-hmm. um, who they would want to start a team with, like that shows who they have respect for in the league. So um, I loved it. I thought it was great, and I, I was I hope they continue to do this. But also, you know, I just felt like they were holding back on those comments because I know. <laughs> Listen, I know that, you know, there was more like wild stuff out there, but I just thought it was excellent. I thought it was well done. I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, Whoever on the um, which players talk the most trash said who needs to shut up is Odyssey Tim. Whoever said that has probably said that to her. (laughs) I don't believe they probably had that interaction on the court at some point. But I thought it was great. I mean, I think it like you said, it, it really gets you get a, per- a perspective on the players and see like who they respect, who they not not feeling on the court, whatever else. But I feel like, especially as women, like we get put in this box and, you know, we have to go through the whole media training and we have to keep from saying certain stuff. They're very like keen on making sure the players are like, you know, put packaged perfectly and not saying the wrong things and we're representing well and whatever. And that can kind of stifle some of like the personality of these players sometimes, you know? So I thought it was awesome that, they were able to talk to players and just be honest and open about how they feel about stuff. Cause I think we definitely need, need more of that. It's more realistic. It gets more people engaged. Obviously this was t- talked about a lot on Twitter. Like, you know, it, it just gets people more involved in interacting with us in our sport. And I think that's crucial. So I'm like, I, y'all need to do this more, maybe do it like once a year <laughs> or something, add some more questions in there because I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And one of the, I think criticism against the WNBA has been the lack of transparency, you know, like both at the league level, but just in every sense. And I think part of it is that we don't have a ton of media coverage. Like, 
for example, you take the NBA or the NFL, they've got a lot of coverage. So you've got people who do analysis and people that look at, you know, um, you know, player brands and the culture of the sport. And you got people that maybe just do game, you know, post game stuff. Like there's so many different types of ways when you have that much coverage to look at a sport, to look at the players, to examine the issues. Well, the WNBA, we're trying to get to the baseline stuff, right? We're just, we're trying to get to the, Hey, who played last night? What happened? Why is this important? Like, we're just trying to get the consistent coverage on those levels, which I think we are much further along than we were even five years ago. So now we can start to look at different angles and the athletic is a, is, is, you know, obviously they've expanded their coverage. But um, now we can start to look at it in different ways. And, and people who like these transparent conversations can cover that angle, you know, and we can start to look at things through a different lens and maybe a more honest lens and or maybe a more open lens with the WNBA. The more the popularity has grown, the more interest that uh, people are seeing that's been there, but that's just getting exposure. So I'm all here. I'm here for all the different angles, the new ways that it's being covered. But more importantly, the transparency, the openness, the rivalries. These are the people that don't like each other. Like these these two teams have history like those things are interesting to fans. Yeah, I would agree with that. And before we get off this topic, ladies, I just want to say really quickly that one of the things that I thought really interesting in this article was the question about WNBA expansion. You would think because of how many fans are so excited and so ready to see that it was interesting to see a lot of players who said, you know, yeah, we we do think that the the WNBA needs to expand. However, based on the business model right now and based on, you know, how we have some teams who have their itch together and some teams that don't, we probably need to work on that first before we consider expanding. I thought that that was really interesting considering how you often also hear fans, I'm sorry, uh, hear players talk about there not being enough spaces and uh, places on rosters for some of the great players that don't get an opportunity to play on a team. So I think that was one of the questions that I found to be really interesting. Um, Another one that was interesting, which leads us to our next topic was, what is the biggest issue facing the league at the moment? And the way that this question was phrased, not necessarily what some of those issues are, but what they felt was the biggest at this time. And outside of salaries being the obvious one, some of the things that came up in their votes were marketing exposure, travel, respect, attendance, and refereeing. And we all know when it comes to officiating what happened this weekend. <laughs> so that brings us to our third topic and final topic in our first quarter. Um, I know you guys have thoughts on the ejection that was, but then wasn't because apparently it was rescinded. Um, uh, you can't rescind an injection. Exactly. So, so it I was, was not. <laughs> I was a little confused on what that exactly meant. Dev, you went hard on this on Twitter. Please give us your thoughts. First of all, when I saw the video, I, I think I was watch. I was at the Indiana game. When I watched the video, I laughed for a solid thirty minutes. There is no way this ref was serious. Like I, I just don't even understand like what the thought process was here because clearly her her arms were already out. It wasn't like she like hit him or it didn't even look intentional. It looked like she was talking to Quigley and her arm was out. And he walked into her arms and freaked out. And I'm like, okay, it, it honestly looked like a soccer flop. Like that's that's what they do over there. But I don't, <laughs> I just don't even understand. And I'm like, even if it was maybe a player that could be more problematic, or if it was like 
somebody who's consistently talking to the rest or like on them, like me maybe, or like Diana or somebody that's like in their face, it would make more sense. Maybe not even, but I just don't even understand why this reaction went that way to eject somebody in like a game that counts towards the playoff. That's like rather important. You're going to eject somebody for barely kind of grazing you. I just, it didn't make, any sense and like like you said they rescinded it but you can't rescind an ejection like that happened and it's done and it's like okay yeah she's not going to get the fine but I mean that already affected the game and that's something you can't take back and I think you know like the rest is something we talked about all year um and apparently from what I heard on Twitter this is a guy that's been problematic throughout the year like one of the the worst refs from multiple fans I've heard but I just didn't even understand how it got to that point. Even if you wanted to call a tech, I, okay, maybe for thinking that she touched you, but I, that was absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and the key, and Deb just stated it, I mean, so well, but the key is that this is a big game, right? Like this, Chicago had an opportunity to host. They could have been the fourth seed. Um, now Vegas, you know, took care of business in Chicago, lost, so it is what it is. But that's a big game. And Astu is their starting power forward. And this happened in the second quarter. And I also have heard the same things and seen the same that Dev just expressed in terms of this this particular official and his quickness to call both technicals and eject players and so I would love to see this is what I'm asking for the WNBA I would love to see ejections I want to know who or or, and technicals who called them and what players they were given to because there were also and, and maybe I was reading through maybe I was reading this the wrong way but I also saw some players making comments that to me inferred that there may be a deeper issue in this than just him blowing the whistle quickly, um, whether that be a racial issue or something with women like that. It goes a little deeper than what we just saw. Now, I, you know, obviously that's a very sensitive subject and I don't want to put it in words in anybody's mouth. But um, if if that is the case and the players are outwardly expressing this, then that needs to be looked into. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, it was just a really, really, really bad call. Um, the contact, which again, he did, t- he totally flopped, um, by a stew was incidental, right? Like, let's talk about this in, in basketball terms. This is how we would talk about that play if we were, if I, if I was calling the game. It's incidental contact. Okay. Um, and so I just thought that it was so extreme to eject her. And she's a player who is very soft-spoken, very mild-mannered, very kind, you know, and I'm not saying in between the lines, she definitely is a beast and she battles, but um, it's not her temperament. And so I, I think you have to know what and who you're dealing with as well. Um, and, and so, you know, the relationship part of it is important, but I, I just thought it was very... It was a terrible call, and I want to know about these technicals and ejections and this looked into. One of the biggest things that I think is going to be very scary regarding officiating is that we are now heading into the postseason, and if these were the issues that some were facing during the regular season, you would hate to see, you know, 
for lack of better terms, bad officiating to the level of, you know, affecting the outcome of a game or affecting a team's um, opportunities in a game come the postseason. And with that, we will head into our second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. All right, ladies. So it's time for us to talk some playoffs, and I'm excited about that. Um, as mentioned earlier in the show, the lineups are set. The matchups are set together. And just to reiterate, Washington and Connecticut have that double bye, so we won't see them for a couple of games. Vegas and the Sparks, and I know you noticed that I, <clears throat> when you said the Sparks earlier, just to throw that out there. And uh <laughs> oh yeah, because we're gonna talk about Vegas. Because Dev's gonna tell us what the heck's going on in Vegas. Okay, ain't getting away with that either. Exactly. But our first round <laughs> matchups, uh, we have Minnesota against Seattle, and we also have Phoenix against Chicago. So Phoenix is taking on Chicago on Wednesday, September 11th at eight o'clock p.m. on ESPN two, and that's Eastern time. And uh we are definitely gonna delve in. So LaChina, I am gonna start with you because. You picked at the beginning of the year Phoenix to not only make the playoffs, but to win it all. And throughout the course of the year, we didn't see Diana come back the way that we expected her to. Um, Brittany Griner stepped up, but we still kind of felt is Phoenix the team that, you know, you expected them to be. And now here they are going against Chicago. And I'm not sure that they have what it takes to, to really get past Chicago. Where are you right now with this game? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. We need to take a step back yeah. because LaChina Robinson never picked Phoenix to win it all this year, first of all. Okay. Mm. I picked Brittany Griner as my MVP, but I need to see some receipts that I picked Damn. to win it all. Let yeah. me go ahead and pull go these ahead, receipts. Pull back the out. receipts. But wait. anyway, I'm going to, yeah, but I'm going to move on from there because I probably picked Washington. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, re- I don't recall this, Dan. Okay. Do let's, you re- let's I don't, pull I don't the recall this either. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> I have several, I have several ways that I can prove that that was the case, but I'm going to move forward. Um, anyway, so when I look at this matchup, like, here's the question on everybody's mind. Can Phoenix just flip the switch and turn it on, right? Like, we've seen them do in the past. Like, past couple of years, they haven't been a top seed, haven't been close, but they've come into the playoffs and pushed their way into a semifinals, into a series. And this year, I'm not sure that they can do that because – they have not played well. They just don't look good, period, right? So there's some of the eye tests. But then, you know, we're not sure what's happening with Diana Tarazi. She played, but then she didn't play the last couple of games of the season. And so it's like, okay, is she resting for the playoffs? Or, you know, because I thought, I, you know, Rebecca talked about this in studio. We talked about this in our game on Sunday. There's a fine line between trying to rest your players, but also getting some continuity and some consistency in what you're doing on both ends of the floor so that you feel good coming into the playoffs. So for her to not play um, could say a variety of things, but I, I do think that this Phoenix team, you even take Diana Tarazi off of it, do they have what it takes to win a first-round game? I, absolutely. At Chicago, come on, you got Brittany Griner, Dewana Bonner, um, Breon January, Essence Carson is back, Sancho Little is back. I mean, we're talking about players that have won at the highest levels, not only here, but also internationally. So they have it. But do they have the chemistry? Do they have the confidence? And and at the end of the day, it's not just about Phoenix. Um, that experience against a Chicago team that is young and does not have experience is huge. But it's also just the fact that Chicago feels like they're one of the teams to beat, and for good reason. I mean, James Wade is my coach of the year. Um, no secret in that. 
but they they feel like they can really make some noise. I think they're pissed about the way their season ended at Washington, especially with a Stu's uh, ejection. I think they've kind of played with a chip on their shoulder that nobody sees them, nobody believes in them. The officials don't treat them fair. Like they, you know, they've definitely um, played with some attitude. But I think the telling statistic, and then I, I'll, I'd love to hear what Dev has to say in this, is that here is Chicago's here are Chicago's matchups against Phoenix this past year: one hundred five to seventy eight Chicago, ninety four to eighty six Chicago, eighty two to seventy five Chicago. So I believe the series is 3-0 Chicago. So they have no fear of Phoenix because they've beat them in every game this year. They may have been one that I think Phoenix won if they played four times, but I know they've at least beat them three times. So they're not they're not really scared. <laughs> and not that, that the Phoenix team now is a Phoenix team that played in any of those previous games, but that's just got to give you some confidence going in. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I've, I'm not going to lie. I'm like I was really struggling with both of these matchups. <laughs> Because you have two teams that, like like you said, Phoenix always comes to play in the playoffs. Always. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And they have that vet presence, the people that have been there and know what to do in those situations. But I think that Chicago is hungry. And I think they've really just been consistently slept on throughout the year. Um, and they've shown up each and every time. So I, I honestly feel like Chicago is going to be able to come out with this one. Um, and like LaChina said, they've, they've won, they've won all those games this year, which doesn't necessarily mean anything because I mean, Phoenix in the playoffs is a whole different beast. Even if Diana isn't full form, um, BG and DB are going to come to play and that's always how it is. And in the playoffs, those, usually those three just completely take over, um, to the point where they're beating people off of them pretty much alone. Um, with Diana, you know, still being kind of iffy, um, I don't know. That's a lot to put on BG and DB, uh, especially considering that, you know, throughout the year, like like you said, Chicago's not scared. Um, and I think they really want this. Like, they're, I think they're going to come in ready for this game. Um, I think it'll definitely be closer than what probably most will expect it to be just because it's Phoenix. But I think Chicago comes out with this one. Um, they've proven all year that, you know, they can, especially at the end of games, close out um, on some of these tight ones. Um, and I, I think they just have a really good group that play really well together and play for each other. And I think that's really important come playoff time. Um, so I think that they'll be able to get over the hump and, and get this first win. The question, I, uh, my biggest thing is this, and this could be the move of the year. We'll see what happens. But James Wade cut Chloe Jackson to pick up Kayla Alexander. And you think about the injury to Jantel Lavender, um, and I think she was available for at least the first two matchups against Phoenix. Not sure, don't quote me on that. But um, lost Jantel, and he found it important to get a post player right, to get somebody with some size. Kayla could be critical in this matchup against Brittany Griner because when you look at Chicago's roster, yes, they have Dolson. Yes, they have a stew. You know, they've got some size, but you got to be ready to come at BG with bodies. And Kayla is 6'4", so she gives you some size. They got Dolson is 6'5", and the stew is 6'5". And, yeah, you got Cheyenne Parker as well, but I just think Kayla's length against a Brittany Griner 
Um, especially if you get into foul trouble, it, it could just give them the depth they need to get over the hump. So that she, to me, or well, not her, but that move um, could prove, and even if they meet somebody like Vegas down the line, I, I don't, I'm not thinking about how this could possibly happen in my mind, but I'm just thinking about the size of the league. Um, that could be a big move for them, you know, that he did get, go and get Kayla. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm with Deb. I'm, I'm, I think Chicago is, is really hungry and ready to get a win. Just to confirm, uh, LaChina, yes, they did only play three times this season, not four, but all three times, you're right, Chicago did win. Um, and they just met about a week ago and the score was like 105-78 or something like that. But I'm going to disagree with Dev on one thing. I don't think that this game is going to be close because Chicago's offense has been crazy over the last couple of games. And in fact, they've won like their last few games by over 100 points. I think their offense is just clicking right now. And so having to play so soon, they may still have that momentum. So I don't think it's going to be a close game. Phoenix will need to play some super, super crunch down defense to if there can if Chicago's offense continues to click the way that it is. Moving on to our second matchup, which will be Minnesota versus Seattle. And honestly, I think most people, while hoping that these teams would be in the playoffs after seeing the losses that they took to start the season and an even deeper loss for Seattle with losing Sue Bird for the season, I'm not even sure people really expected either of these teams to be here. But here we are. Uh, LaChina, let's start with you. What are going to be some key factors for Minnesota coming into this game? Well, first of all, I'll say this. Um, there are a couple things. Y'all know I'm all about the big picture because I'm a mm-hmm. sociology major, so I get into this kind of stuff. But I-, I thought that this matchup really would come down to home court advantage. Uh, we knew Seattle and Minnesota were going to play each other. Um, but these are two teams that have significant home courts. And I was looking at some of the numbers for attendance over you know this season and I'm pretty sure that Minnesota and Seattle were both in the top half of the league but more than anything they have fans that make a difference right like credit to Seattle the way they've been able to get their fans in the arena this year without Sue Bird without Brianna Stewart they're displaced they're playing in Everett and so that's huge for them because they feed off of their crowd Minnesota the same they just won uh, their before losing to L.A. at the end of the season. They just won their last five games, and four of those were at the Target Center. Their fans are awesome. You know, they make a difference. So this, to me, matchup starts there. It's it's about where you're playing. Then, okay, this is the one thing, though, that I will give Minnesota coming into this in their favor. They're not happy that they lost at L.A. They're not happy that they blew an opportunity to host, Right. So they're going to come in, I think, with an attitude of, hey, listen, we need to bounce back. And I don't know what's going to happen with Simone Augustus. I do know that they started her um, their final home game, which was interesting to me because she had not been starting. So I was like, oh, so are they doing this in case they don't come back home? Is Simone going to continue to play past this season? I don't know, but that could be another factor if they're playing for what they think could be Simone's last game. And again, I'm totally making this up. Um, but things like that come into play at this time of year. Those are the kind of little motivations wanting to extend for your teammate, having your home court advantage, um, you know, different things that could come into play with this matchup. But you can't discredit what Dan Hughes has done and what he's done with his team. Seattle is a team that knows what they want to do. They're still learning, right? There's some inconsistencies. There's some turnovers. They've got Jordan Canada just stepping into the 
uh, point guard position. You know, Natasha Howard is a brand new MVP candidate. You know, most improved to MVP is a big jump in terms of expectations. But, um, you know, it, it goes back to, to just the coaching. I mean, Cheryl Reeve and, and Dan Hughes, this will be a great coaching matchup. Uh, you know, Sill obviously has an advantage having been there, having been a former MVP. Um, Seattle doesn't have anybody of that caliber on their team. Um, they don't have anybody like a Simone Augustus on their team who is a proven leader, who is a four-time WNBA champion. So will that kind of stuff uh, factor in? But I, I just like bo- this matchup and interested to see how it turns out for, for both of these teams. I agree. You took the words out of my mouth. I really think that these teams are like, so close um, that it was going to come down to home court advantage and Seattle got that. Um, So I definitely am going to have to say Seattle just because it's really tough to play in Seattle and especially during the playoffs. Their fans are, it's like deafening in there. So I I think that's going to play a huge factor in this game, especially since it's been kind of back and forth with them throughout, you know, the season and they have um, t- two teams that are, you know, no, like you guys said, nobody really thought they were going to be in this situation, but they've kind of made something um, out of what people thought was going to be nothing. So um, they've been able to battle throughout this season, and I think that home court advantage was huge. And I know that's something that Cheryl Reef, you know, plans for and plays for. It's something that is talked about throughout the season. Um and something that you strive for is to get home court advantage in the playoffs because it's extremely important, especially for a team like Minnesota that plays really well at home. But, I, I mean, I still think they're going to be extremely prepared. This is a Cheryl Reeve coach team. She knows what she's doing. They will be prepared for this game. Um, so I definitely think it's going to be another very close game. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. But I think Seattle being at home, I think that's going to push them over the edge because, I mean, they just play well at home. And the the, the way that their fans get into that game, like, it really makes a, a big difference. Um, I know that's talked about a lot is that home court advantage, but it's, it's very real and it's difficult to play there. So I think um, I think that they it's going to be tough for Minnesota to get over that hump. Um, and I think Seattle is just going to be prepared and, and just thriving off of their fans. Fans, you can check this game out also on Wednesday, September 11th, but it's airing at 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. So it's directly following the earlier matchup for our two teams that have a first round bye. Uh, the Los Angeles Sparks and the Las Vegas Aces. And this is really interesting because it's kind of like a tale of two teams. You know, Vegas coming down the stretch were a little bit inconsistent, whereas L.A. seemed to kind of have found their rhythm a little bit. They won like four of their last five games. They beat the Lynx. They beat the Storm. Um, I think that I think if 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 we if we're looking at, if I'm looking at it correctly, the toughest team that the Sparks are probably going to face coming into the playoffs will probably be the Sky. But it looks like they wouldn't even get to see them because uh, the way that the brackets, the lower seed would either be Mercury, the Lynx, or the Storm. So you know you kind of got to think that they'd be able to be either of those teams. Where Vegas may have a little bit of a harder road to get to the semifinals. There's always the question of with Vegas being a team that's young and experienced. Was it even good for them to have a first round bye? So Dev, we're going to start with you because you've been riding Vegas this entire time. Uh, who? <laughs> yeah, like you know, what are your thoughts on Vegas entering uh, entering the, the the second round of the playoffs? I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little nervous. Because they haven't been playing well, and it pains me to say that L.A. has been playing extremely well 
coming down this stretch. They have been playing really well pretty much since Candace came back. Um, they kind of stepped it up and taken it up a notch. And Vegas has been all over the place. They just lost to Atlanta. I just, I, I don't even, I don't even mm. understand how that's possible. I did not see that game. LaChina made sure to text me as soon as it happened. Mm. But, but I don't even understand. I, have to, I really have to go back and watch that game because I don't even understand how that's possible. I w- my first question was like, were they resting people? I don't. I don't even understand, but this is a time where, you know, how you play going into the playoffs is really important. It, it makes a different because it, a difference because it sets the tone for what you're doing. And usually when you're playing consistently well, leading into the playoffs, you're building momentum. And Vegas has been all over the place, like winning the game here really well, then losing right off the bat. To, to Atlanta like it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and luckily they got to buy I think this will help them kind of hone in um and you know Bill is going to be on them and and definitely getting them focused for the playoffs um because we know how he is as a coach and and um his mentality going to in the playoffs so I think that this kind of gives them an opportunity to take a deep breath and be like okay we have a couple extra days to really um get it together figure out what our game plan is and make sure we're following it and doing everything that we need to do. So I, I think it's good for them to have this buy and really settle down um, and figure things out. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, Dev uh, is concerned about Vegas because everyone <laughs> else should be too. I mean, they were picked to win it all. And this is where I think that lack of experience comes back to bite you, right? Like you hit some rough spots in the season, Asia Wilson gets injured. Liz Cambage has to take some time. Like, it's only a 34-game season. So it's hard to get your confidence, your continuity, your chemistry where it needs to be with all these moving pieces in and out. And that can come with a lot of frustration. Bill Beer decides to bring Epiphany Prince in. What message is that sending? You know, Kelsey Plum is coming off of the bench. So um, it, it's just... It's a Vegas team that does not concern me at all from a talent standpoint. In fact, I think could be a huge problem for other teams because they have Cambage and Wilson on the floor at the same time. However, just the emotional maturity, um, the the lack of experience, those kind of things, this time of year could come back to bite you. Uh, but it could also propel them, you know, like I, I think this is a team where if they start to believe and really see, I mean, they've got all the pieces, uh, what they can do, then, hey, by all means, they could take off. They could still win it all. I just am concerned about the way they've played down the stretch of the regular season because you have to be able to bounce back. Every team is going to hit the unexpected loss, uh, the injury bug, Cambage, I know, sat out. Uh, some of that Atlanta game, which I think if she had been able to play, they would have won, but she, that Achilles was bothering her, uh, did not seem to be bothering her at Phoenix. They took care of business there. So, I, I you know, it, it's a team that's intriguing to me, um, but they, I agree, I totally agree, they need this time. They needed that bye because they needed some, they need to figure things out over the next few days. And L.A., it, they're going to L.A., and, and Chelsea Gray is one of the best post uh, season players or playoff players that I've, I've I've watched play in this league, so you don't want to come up against a team that has a point guard that has been in the biggest battles of all battles and is playing very well. 
Um, you know, Candace Parker looks good. She looks spry. They're going to play at home, which is an advantage for them because they're much better at home. So there are a lot of things working in, in L.A.'s favor. And you got to cre- credit Derek Fisher for being able to hold things together and, and then to finish third because Tariqa's team didn't look good early. They sure didn't. I told y'all the Sparks was going to be here. I don't know why y'all questioned me, but okay. <laughs> we have to question you, okay? Let's not get, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, all right, ladies. Moving on. Um, moving on to our final two teams, though. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone that Washington and Connecticut um, have earned the double bye. They have their sights set all season long on being in this point for Connecticut. It seemed more like a need than a want because they had faced early exits um, in the playoffs over the last couple of years. And the Mystics, I'm sure their sights are either finals or nothing. Having been there, having lost the way they did, not having their superstar at full health last year. And I know that rubbed on them this year, I'm sure. So now they're in the position to do just that. And so LaChina, we'll start with you, Miss, because I think I picked the Washington Mystics. Um, is this a championship or bust situation for them at this point? Yes, it is. To me, it's Washington Mystics championship to lose and, and anything could happen. And that's what you love about the playoffs in this time of year. But any, anyone that's watched Washington play or has been watching this league all season, it's hard to dispute the fact that they've been the best team this year, um, for a majority of the season. And that's even with Elena Deladon going through different things and them now having Christy Tolliver and all of that. Despite all of it, the margin of victory, the points per game, the field goal percentage, the three-point records, all that stuff speaks for itself. Emma Mieseman being back and being amazing in her play, uh, you know, Natasha Cloud, it just, it's come together for Washington. And, and Mike Tebow deserves this to me. He's put a lot of work into this team. He's gotten, you know, two major players in Deladon and Christy Tolliver to come to play for Washington. They make it to their first finals last year. They set a season record this year for wins in the regular season. So it's time for Mike Tebow to win a championship on paper. Um, and if I see any holes in this team, you know, to me it's, it's will they get taller back and when will they get her back? Because in late game situations, and, and though they have handled themselves extremely well without her, but this is the playoffs. It's about to step it up a notch. It's about to be a different level. And it would be great to have Christy Tolliver in the game in fourth quarter situations to finish off. I don't know if they've got the experience in their backcourt. I mean, Natasha Cloud's outstanding point guard. Ariel Atkins is great. They've got some amazing pieces, but does it make up for what you have when Christy Tolliver's on the court? No, because she's a WNBA champion. She's been there. She's won those battles. She's She's been in those big games with high stakes both here and internationally. So uh, the way your backcourt plays is big. It's huge. I mean, I, I hate to say it as a post player, but guards are major in playoff situations and championship opportunities. So if if there was one thing that I would say concerned me, it's that. Um, the other thing I would say is their lack of size, depending on who their matchup ends up being. It's, you know, they've got Latoya Sanders in the middle, and she is a warrior. I mean, I want her in the foxhole with me, but it's one of her. You know, like they don't have a ton of size of experience like a Vegas does or the way that L.A. can be a handful with NECA and Candace down low. So some of it's matchup driven or Brittany Griner, who has given Minnesota, who's given Washington fits this year. They end up matched up with them. That could be a problem. 
So, um, you know, why it's Washington's championship to lose, but getting Tolliver back and when she comes back, I think is is going to be it's going to be important. I agree. Washington looks. I mean, with the way they've been playing, um, they're kind of they're scary. I ain't gonna lie, they look scary. They have struggled a bit, like Lashina said, when um, you've gone against the bigger players just because they don't have that depth and size. Um, but uh, I, it, I, it's there. It's there to lose, like she said. It's. I mean, they've been showing it all year. They've been playing really well all year, and this is their time to close it out. And I know, especially after last year, they really won it. Um, I think it's going to be a matter of matchups and who ends up in that position um, to see how things go for them. Now, Connecticut side, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how that goes because we all know they've had their playoff woes and seen how things have transpired for them when it comes playoff time and having a double bye as, as wonderful as it sounds, it can be tough because you're sitting for a while and you have to stay sharp and, I think that's kind of been their issue in the playoffs is that they've come out and kind of like laid an egg. And when you get that double bye, you got to be able to stay focused and like stay on it for what, like a a week maybe before you're playing again. Um, So I'm really interested to see what happens on that side because uh, they've had these issues in the playoffs and you have to be on it. Like you cannot come out there, especially when a team that you're going to go up against has been playing all this time. Um, and so they're back in that mode, especially in the playoffs. They're, they're you know, like season, they're good. Um, and then they come out. And if you don't come out hard, you know, you could drop that first game, which is what exactly what you want in a, in a series of five. You, like as a team that's coming in, an away team, you're trying to get that first game. You're trying to steal one of those games um, so that you can go home and just do what you have to do there. Um, so I'm really interested to see what Connecticut does and if they're on it. Um, this last game versus Indiana, they didn't look great. They did, Obviously, they weren't playing, um, you know, their starters in the in the manner that they would during the regular season. They were very clearly making sure people were resting. But, st- I mean, as a team that, that's had those issues in the playoffs, I feel like you got to still stay focused to the end. And they Indiana just picked them apart. Um, so... I'm interested to see if they clean it up and come back and are ready in this and are able to stay focused throughout this these days that they're not playing and stay sharp so that when they do get on the court, they're looking how they were during the season um, and kind of like together um, and, and just playing the game that they've been playing and doing really well. But I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out because, I mean, that could be good or it, it can be a negative depending on how you look at it because playing in Minnesota and having that advantage, we've definitely got popped once or twice in that first game because we were, we were sitting around and, and waiting for that game and then a team comes in that's been playing and they were ready. So that'll be interesting to see um, once they start playing. Their first game would be September 17th, which is a Tuesday. Yeah, for okay. them in Washington. But, um, yeah, so – uh, just to finish up on Connecticut, I'm with Dev. It'll be interesting to see what this rest does for them, but they have pleasantly surprised me this year. Like, I think they are more emotionally and mentally mature than they've ever been, and that counts for something at this time of year. They've had some tough stretches this year where they've lost games and they've lost by a lot, and 
they've had to bounce back and they did not bounce back as quickly as I thought they could have or should have. But I've seen more of that resilience from them down the stretch of the regular season. I've seen more consistency from Courtney Williams during this time of the year than we did at the beginning. I've seen more of a takeover mentality from Melissa Thomas at this time of year than we did at the beginning. So it's, it's, it's a team that I'm excited about. Because we've been talking about them for a while, and can they turn the corner, and can they win a series, or can they finish in the top two? And they did. And uh, I think Kurt Miller's done an exceptional job with them. And, and I would say that I am probably, I mean, I am, um, when we talk about or look at the teams we just talked about, Vegas, L.A., and definitely everybody five through eight, Connecticut to me is my favorite over those teams. Uh, because of what I've seen from them, and especially when they're at home. And they did the work, and they secured home court advantage in the semifinals. Only thing that makes me a little nervous about Connecticut moving forward is, let's just say everything works out perfectly in the two seeds that are playing in the second round with the bye win. Well, that would mean that L.A. would end up facing Connecticut. And Connecticut has lost to them twice this season uh they played three times and they've lost two of the three so i would hate for it to be a mental situation where they're facing a team that they've suffered a couple of losses to um who have improved and have gotten better um and then they end up again getting in their own heads as they have in the past and end up you know losing the situation that they possibly should have or could have won um but we'll see all right fans well stay right where you are we are going into halftime but when we return in our third quarter we are going to talk WNBA awards yes we want to hear what LaChina and Dev have selected for their award winners and also uh, we're going to hear from an award candidate a rookie of the year front runner Arike Ngumbawale is going to join us on the show so don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this third quarter scouting report all right so on top of uh going into the playoffs this time of year it's also time for us to look at who our WNBA superlatives are award winners and um while the winners obviously haven't been selected yet everyone's got prediction on who they think are going to win what and including LaChina and Dev so we're just gonna rapid fire go over who we think you know may or may not win an award so coach of the year I know we've heard it a couple of times from you, LaChina, but who's your coach of the year and why? James Wade. Um, he's done a great job with developing his roster, with the way he's coached. Um, a team that I did not pick to make the playoffs and ended up fin- finishing fifth, could have finished fourth. Um, that's my coach of the year. Dev? Agreed. Same coach Wade. Cause I think he took a team that pretty much was the same team and turned them into a playoff team. So uh, I think he's done a great job there. Hands down, Coach Wade. Defensive player of the year. Who you got, LaChina? I'm going with Natasha Howard. She's in top five in the league in both blocks and steals, and that's hard to do. I think she has um, really been an integral part of Seattle's defensive attack, which I think helped to fuel their energy um, to start the, the beginning of the season. You know, I mean, Klopp is a part of their staff and he started off when Dan Hughes was getting treatment and we know that Klopp is a defensive genius and I just think the way that he used Natasha Howard and they were able to speed up the game and and force turnovers and things early kind of carried them Um, but I just think she's I mean to finish top five in both those categories in the WNBA is not easy to do and so um, that's my defensive player of the year yeah I'm gonna have to agree with that one (laughs) 
for yeah. Yeah, the exact real same reason. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're gonna get, in, mean, we're gonna get into it in a minute, though. Don't yeah, worry. We Let's getting there. It's been easy. We getting there. We getting there. Okay, six women of the year. Who you got, Lachina? Dierica Hamby of Wake Forest University. Yeah. Not even, it's not even up for you discussion. First off, I would agree that it should be no debate, but you ain't have to throw uh, Wake Forest in there like that. that is funny. Oh, that there's was no argument to be had. Period. Literally none, though. Shut Seriously. it down, Dierica Hamby. Don't even. We don't even have to discuss this. She it's petty. not even close. All right, here it is, MVP. Elena Deladon. Yeah, (laughs) she's really hard to... If if anybody's saying anything other than Elena after her, what is 50, 40, 90? They're not even watching. They can't be watching the same things we are if they say anybody else. Congrats to Elena, first player ever. (laughs) First player with 50, 40, 90, and that is your MVP. Rookie of the year. Hmm. Go ahead, Dev. You already know my answer. Enrique, listen. Okay. Okay. I got to I gotta explain your, this get one. Get your paper out. Get your notebook out. <laughs> I, I got to explain this one. So I I love Nafisa. I think she is a great player. Um, I think that as far as how I view the game and how I like it to be played, she is a very complete player as far as like her efficiency and how she plays um and she affects so much of the game but let's be realistic when it comes to superlatives we're talking about straight stats and when it comes to a stat stuffer it's a rike period like it's, it's not even a conversation we're not talking about you know completeness like any other time that we talk about these superlatives we're talking about what is on the stat sheet and i'm 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 saying this as a player that does a lot of stuff, did a lot of stuff off the stat sheet. And I appreciate players. And I think that it's important to have players that like do a little bit of everything and are able to affect the games in ways that may not show up on the stat sheet. And I think that's way more important than people give. But when it comes to these awards, we are talking about stats. And there's not a rookie that's putting up the stats that a rookie's putting up. Like, period. It's just not. It's just not. So, I mean, I don't think it's a conversation. I love Nafisa. I think she is a great player. I love the way that she plays. But come on now. Like, don't be trying to change the rules now that Enrique is <laughs> about to win this. Don't be trying to change it up now. Like, that's come on. So, um, I will say this. I, I was undecided on this up until the final game of the regular season because I, as well as Dev, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at, and I think I have it in here. This is just, um, this is just ridiculous. Uh, Arike's la- ten games before the final game. I don't know what she. I don't. I don't know where her numbers were in, against um, Seattle, but thirty point six assists, thirty two point six assists, thirty point seven assists, thirty five point six assists, and she had twenty nine point two assists, twenty two point three assists. She had an opportunity to get that record breaking fifth a thirty point game straight, but just fell short. So I mean, to me. What she's done, she's been the most exciting and electrifying player to watch, no question, down the stretch of uh, of the regular season. However, she will admit that that did not happen until the All-Star break because she was not happy with her play in the first half of the season. So I think that's the first thing, is that she hasn't had the same level of consistency throughout an entire year that Nafisa has had. To me, I mean, and I don't know if you guys saw the graphic we had on the game, but Nafisa's plus minus is like ridiculous, right? When she's on the court, she's number one in the in the WNBA in minutes, which speaks volume for not only her ability to push through fatigue and 
for Cheryl Reeve to be able to trust her. But both players, now mind you, have had to play a new position. So in all fairness, Enrique's playing point guard and, and Nafisa's had to move to three. But Nafisa is in the top 20 in the WNBA in points and steals, I believe, in rebounds. There's about five different statistics where she's in the top 20. Now, when you think about All-Star Game, there's more than 20 players in the All-Star Game, but those are considered the best players in the league, right? And to be amongst those in so many different categories, including top five in steals, is is just hard to do. And at the end of the day, there is a statistic, and I hate that I don't have it right now, but I believe that she is the first player since Tamika Catchings to have something like 400 points, 200 rebounds, and something else. Um, Tamika Catchings was a rookie a long time ago. First rookie to have those numbers. And the only other players to have those numbers are like Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think that she has far surpassed what I thought she would be able to do at the three and four position and the way that she has been such an important factor for the Minnesota Lynx. Just a little reference here, Latina, of what you're referring to. Nafisa Collier is now sixth on the list of 400 plus points, 200 plus rebounds, 80 plus assists, and 60 steals. She comes in behind Cheryl Swoops, Lisa Leslie, Tamika Catchings, Maya Moore, and Sancho Little. So that's not bad company to be in. You're right. Nobody has done it since catch in 2002. That's a 17-year record. I mean, I'm going to, I agree. I do agree. And I think that's what these things should be based off of, but they're not. Like, realistically, look at the defensive team, right? Angel makes that team almost every year, right? And what she she usually averages, like, four, three or four steals a game, right? Something like that. It's usually why she's on there. Right. But they don't take into account the nine that she tried to get those steals during that game and she missed, and her man scored. You know what I mean? Like, they don't take that stuff into account because it's just about stats. (laughs) Okay, and I understand that, but the eye test is also something that comes into play. What I can tell you about Nafisa is that she is disruptive defensively, that she's always the first player down the floor, that she's a very she's very good at setting screens, that she's a very good passer. Um and so and those are, things should be counted. Those things are should definitely be counted. Um But they're I'm, not I'm, <laughs> Why not though? Why not? According I, to who? Not, I know agreeing with you i think they should be but I, I they're just not i don't know why people don't count this stuff i feel like the last time somebody accounted efficiency was when um like neca and, and tina were going for mvp and it was literally because they were so close and neca or what was it tina shot more than neca had taken or something like that so they didn't really have a choice but to count it like nobody really takes into account that, that. i don't know why and i don't think it's fair because there's so many players that do so much but I mean, they just don't. It's but just- here's the, here's the thing about it being your MVP vote. Like, you, I mean, your Rookie of the Year vote, you get to decide what it's about. It's not about what the people think at all. And that's what I th- why I think there is such a discussion in this, is that everybody has a different criteria. What they think an MVP is, what they think a Rookie of the Year is. To me... But what does the league... But the, but the, <laughs> league, the, doesn't get the, but the league doesn't get the final vote. We vote. The media votes. So it's like the league does get to decide who the rookie of the month is. But as far as this award that's getting ready to be put out by the WNBA, the media voted on this. So we all have a different 
like consistency is important to me, right? Efficiency is important to me. Um, history is important to me. And, you know, like the eye test is important to me. And I'm not taking anything away from Arike. If I had my choice, we would have co-rookie of the year because to me, they both deserve it. Yep. But Nafisa just edges out Arike for the reasons that I just mentioned and because where she is in a historical perspective. I mean, I agree. I think that I think if it's, if it's based on my values, I think Nafisa wins. But that's never been the case. Like, which is never, people don't vote on that. They vote on straight up, like, what are you putting on the board? Well, so. and but what you just said is very telling because we're not the people. We are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. are the Around the Rim podcast, and we each <laughs> have our right. own vote. So, to me, Dev just said that she would vote for, she would vote for Nafisa. That's what Dev just pretty well, much said. I heard in the beginning that she said she was voting for Arike. So I'm still voting Arike. There we go. <laughs> You know what? You know what? And I'm voting for Arike too. In fact, we had an opportunity to talk to Arike. So now nah, I want y'all to tell her that she not rookie of the year. Now I'm joking. Seriously, we did have Arike and Gubawale on the show and she was awesome. So let's take a listen. All right, basketball fans. So we have a special guest joining us on the show today and we're really excited about having her. Um, NCAA champion, member of the Dallas Wings possible rookie of the year fingers crossed Arike <laughs> and Gubawale is with us guys what's up Arike what's up how you doing I'm doing well and it's been a while like the last time you were on the show I think it was a uh, media day here at ESPN like a year oh, ago oh yeah I yeah, know definitely. what a difference a year makes <laughs> I know right <laughs> right so let's go back a little bit because Around that time, you know, you were fresh off an of NCAA championship. Expectations were super crazy. So you get back to the Final Four. We see you again that weekend. Things didn't quite go the way that we had expected them to. But literally within, like, days, you're at the WNBA draft. And you go number five. So let's kind of start there. Like, how how was that process as far as, like, how fast everything went for you? Like, how were you able to, to kind of put that into a, a perspective? Yeah, it definitely went really fast. But it just, I mean, it didn't really give me time to, you know, I guess, sulk about what happened in the uh, championship game, which is good, honestly. So it just was like back to back, and I had something to look forward to right after that. It's not like you know, end of the season that you gotta wait till you know November until you can play again. Not you can support the WBA season. So I think even though it was really quick, I think the timing was good for me. I think not only you know did you have an opportunity to experience that, but you also had a chance to kind of experience with your teammates. You had Jackie Young, Brianna Turner, Jessica Shepard, Marina Mabry, like your whole starting mm-hmm. five. Like, that's crazy. At any moment, did you guys just kind of, like, talk to each other? And, like, did it dawn on you at any point? Like, damn, our whole squad was really that deal. Yeah, I mean, Marina, her being my roommate, we talked a lot. And then Jess, she lived in our same apartment complex. So we were together a lot. And just, like, thinking about it is crazy. You know, we've been through a lot together. And, you know, we've had a long year. And for us to all be able to get drafted, that's just that's really amazing. Yeah, completely agree. And I know um, it was a lot of talk about Jackie going number one overall within just a couple of days leading up into the draft. And so for that to actually happen, were there any exchange of words between you two for that moment for her going through that being there in New York at the same time? Like, what was that about? Oh, yeah, it was really exciting. We were roommates there, too. So it was just it was perfect. And it was super exciting. I mean, 
she's a great guard, and, you know, Aces needed a good guard to facilitate to all their players. So it was a perfect fit for her, and I was super excited for her. Absolutely. So you get to Dallas, who at the time had just hired coach Brian Agler, and, you know, we know his style and the reputation that that he brings, uh, the championship pedigree that he's had in the past, and, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What, what were your expectations as far as playing for him? What did you expect to get for him, and what do you feel like you were ready to bring to the team at that time? Yeah, well, I mean, I honestly didn't really have any expectations for him because I didn't know how he was as a coach, and I think it was honest, it was perfect for me because I'm new to the team, he's new to the team, so we definitely, you know, both new. It's not like everybody was settled and stuff, so I was able to learn plays just the same as people who've been there for four, three, five years or whatever, so that was perfect for me, but um, definitely, you know, I just came in open-minded and, you know, ready to learn from him. I, I heard a lot about him being a great coach, so I was ready to learn from him and, you know, do whatever I can to help the team, whatever my role was going to be. Absolutely. So what were, you know, some of those specific differences that you noticed? Just coming from a program like what Coach McGraw offers and, you know, being able to be coached under Brian Agler, like what were some of the differences that you noticed just off gate? Um, I mean, they have two different styles of play. You know, Coach is really like, she likes to get stuff done quick and we don't, you know, we don't really, we're not in the gym a long time. Like our practice is probably like an hour and a half at most. Mm-hmm. Brian, you know, he's he's different. We can be in the gym two, three, four hours. <laughs> so it's definitely a different change, but they're both super intelligent coaches, and I've learned you know, a lot from him in just this year, so I'm excited for the future. So a couple weeks ago, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, league officiating, and I think this conversation kind of took a turn um, or at least became more exposed than it was. Um, based off an altercation that happened with some of your teammates and mm-hmm. some of the players with the Mercury's. Now, I'm not going to get all off into the altercation itself, but there were a couple of players from your team that were suspended. And yet, right after that, you guys went into the next couple of games very, very poised. Like, you played sensational, including dropping a five-game win streak for the Los Angeles Sparks. Like, what was that message to the team at that time? Like, what was it that helped you guys remain level-headed and, like, stay focused in light of what the situation was? Yeah, well, we just have to really come together because we had a couple of people suspended and we already had injuries and, you know, not a lot of numbers. So I think we had to play about, like, six, seven, seven people or whatever. And, you know, that small group, we kind of came together and we're like, you know, even though we're missing a couple of pieces, we're still a strong group. We still have a strong core and we got to go out there and compete because nobody else is going to feel sorry for us. So I think that really brought us together and made us uh, bring our intensity up. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, with keeping with that, keeping with intensity, you definitely have been leading the charge for this team, um, put in a position where as a rookie, you know, again, you mentioned you didn't really have that much expectations, but it doesn't seem like it the way that you're playing. Like, it seems like you knew what you wanted to do when you came into the league. Um, Only rookie right now with multiple 35-point games in the history of the WNBA. Only rookie to score 20-plus points in eight games. I mean, you're getting doubled nightly, and you're still able to drop 18 points a game. It's really crazy. Month of August, you're rookie of the month. I mean, it's it's obvious to a lot of us, you know, why you are a front runner for the rookie of the year. But more importantly, I think, why do you think that your game translated so well, you know, from the college level to the professional level? Yeah, well, I think it's just, you know, the confidence level that I have, you know, there's usually a hump of being able to uh, get over, you know, 
you coming into a new new system, WBA professional, there's so many people that are 10 plus years older than you, you know, however many years older than you, and then you're just a little nervous of being able to produce the same way you did in college. But I think, you know, my teammates really helped me a lot, and coaches having a lot of confidence in me and me also having a lot of confidence in myself. I just came out there and tried to play exactly how I played in college, and, you know, it, it helped in definitely just going out there and being confident in myself that I can make shots and be able to produce the same way. And where exactly did you gain that confidence from? I'm pretty sure that's something that's been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, I think uh, probably just having two older brothers that treated me like like them and didn't take it easy on me at all. And I also played with boys when I was younger before I even played on the girls' team. So I definitely, you know, was with them and a lot more physical. And my mom, uh, she's a teacher, but she coached her uh, fifth grade team. And in first grade, I played for them. I wasn't that good in first grade, but <laughs> as I got older, like second, third grade, I was starting to get really good playing with the older players. So I think just always playing up at a young age, that really helped me for when I finally got around people my age. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, last week, we had a very familiar friend of yours on our podcast, Coach Neil Ivey. Um, she gave us a lot of insight about her time at Notre Dame. And as you know, we all know for the fans who've been living under a rock, she's now uh, going to be one of the assistant coaches for the Memphis Grizzlies. And so had you spoken to her since her announcement and, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you heard, especially having played for her? Oh yeah. I talk to her all the time, really. Like, you know, she's, one of my mentors and we're really close and we'll be close, you know, forever. So I talk to her a lot. She watches a lot of games. She texts me after games and stuff. And we definitely still keep connection, you know, and her being able to be um, at the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, the NBA has been doing really well with hiring a lot of uh, good female coaches and she fits in perfectly. She's one of the smartest coaches I know, you know, and she obviously learned from Coach McGraw, played from Coach McGraw. So she has a lot of the insight and intelligence that Coach McGraw has. So she'll fit in there perfect. Funny story, LaChina and I were actually having a conversation on who in the world we thought would be a good fit to replace Niel. And as we were talking, um, she says, and I'm going to give her her credit. I don't give her her credit all the time, but I'm going to give her her credit. She must have had a plug or something because she said, you know, I wonder if Michaela is you know, going to be considered. I think Michaela would be a wonderful addition to the Notre Dame coaching staff. And lo and behold, who does Coach McGraw choose? Michaela Mabry. So... Either LaChina is super, super psychic or she just knows basketball very well. And I'm I'm going to choose the latter, that she knows basketball very well. But with that being said, how was your reaction to that, knowing that you're very close with her sister Marina, as you previously stated? Um, I know that the Notre Dame connection is very strong, that players and former players usually maintain communication with each other well past their playing days. And so, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you heard that Coach McGraw had chosen Michaela and and how do you feel like she's going to fit into this coaching staff? She she's super smart and even, you know, just being in college still after she graduated, her talking to Marina and myself, you know, they're always on FaceTime, obviously they're close. So she'll talk to me too and just the insights that she has in game is really good and she was a coach at L S U or whatever and I think a lot of her scouts like they did really well. So she really knows how to, you know, do the scout and things you know, basketball, X and O. So I think she's going to fit in perfect. Plus she fits in with the youth. You know, Niel really related to us a lot. And she was always practicing with us. So she still had fresh legs, even at, what, 39, 38 or whatever. Right. So Michaela's going to be able to practice with him. And obviously she still has it. She just graduated four years ago. So she'll be able to, you know, 
help them with the scouts and be a good whatever who they have to guard. So I think she's going to fit in perfect. Yeah, like I saw that and I I completely agree that she is definitely going to be somebody that thinks to take that program to the next level and, and can learn, you know, so much from Coach McGraw as so many people have. We know how strong she is on women empowerment. And speaking of which, knowing that she kind of instills that in her players, how were you able to kind of bring that to Dallas as far as, you know, the leadership that I know that Coach McGraw instills in her players? You can see it on the court, like when you're playing, you can see that that leadership factor is there. You know, what was that as far as how you were able to translate that and bring what what Coach McGraw taught you, you know, in your years at Notre Dame over to the wings? Yeah, well, she also, or always, her and Neil always wanted me to speak up. You know, I'm not really like, I mean, I'm vocal sometimes, but I really just play and I don't really talk that that much. But they definitely, as I got to upperclassmen, they really tried to harp on me about being more vocal and speaking because, you know, they said people listen to me. So I've just been trying to do that and try to speak up whenever I can, you know. Now, the Wings are officially eliminated from contention, but you guys certainly have a bright future. What have you learned most in this season? And actually, I'm going to make it a two-part question. Not only what have you learned most this season, but what are you looking forward to going into next season, especially after such a successful rookie campaign? Well, I definitely learned a lot about myself and, you know, being able to adapt to different things, you know. Like, not you know, a lot of rookies, they had that on the court with them that they could learn from. But, you know, with our injuries, you know, Sky being out, who's a point guard, mm-hmm. Taylor being out, who's another uh, seasonal or season vet guard, it's just it's tougher. So on the court, I really just have to learn on the fly. And I think every month I just kind of got better and kind of learned the game a little bit more. And, you know, more in the WNBA, it's more mental than physical. I mean, you know, people can be like my body. I knew I was ready, but mentally I had a lot to learn. I still obviously have a lot to learn. It's a, it's a whole different game. These girls are smart. Uh, they know the ins and outs of the game. They know exactly what to do, and I'm still learning that. So definitely just, you know, picking up on stuff. And I think I did that really fast this year. But, uh, yeah, we have a good young core. And, I mean, a lot of the games we lost has been the last two minutes, and that's just really because we're young and, you know, we got to work on closing games. But most of the games we are right in it. So we have a bright future, and I'm super excited. I'm excited for you guys as well. Do very well. And I think that you guys do have a bright future ahead of you. And I'm very excited to see where you guys go from here, especially when you get all your players back healthy um, and continuing under the tutelage of, of Brian Agler, where you guys are going to go. So what are you going to do if the season's over? Are you playing overseas? Are you staying here? Um, I'm going overseas to Turkey. Nice. In um, October, yeah. So I'm excited for that. should be good and definitely, you know, somewhere I can try to elevate my game and be ready for the WBA season next year. Have you spoken to other players who are playing overseas to kind of give you some advice, you know, what you should bring, what you shouldn't bring? Like, what have you What have you been hearing? What kind of advice have you been getting about playing overseas? Oh, yeah, I've been asking a lot of questions because I'm not trying <laughs> to go over there <laughs> unprepared. So definitely about stuff that I should bring and, you know, stuff that I should do while I'm out there, you know, stuff that I should, just a whole bunch of different stuff. I ask all types of questions. So I think I'm, prepared for the most part awesome well when we speak to you next time and you speak in a whole different language on us we are going to know why (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you so much um arike we appreciate you taking some time let the fans know where they can follow you or where they can find you on social media on instagram it's my first name a-r-i-k-e underscore my last name uh i guess i spell it o-g-u-n-b-o-w-a-l-e then twitter is my first name underscore o 
awesome. Thanks again, Arike. We definitely appreciate your time, and we look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, fans, as we head into our fourth quarter, we just want to take a second to show some love and support to all those who were affected by Hurricane Dorian, especially in the country of the Bahamas. As you know, we have friends of the podcast who uh, call the Bahamas their home, like Connecticut's son, John Quill Jones, and Ole Miss head coach, Yolette McPhee-McEwen. Um, we just want to show you guys, as well as all those affected, that we love you, that we support you. We will continue to be praying for you. And that if there are any hurricane relief efforts in your area that you can lend your financial support to, please do. We know that John Quill Jones has a GoFundMe. So if you follow her on Twitter at Just242, um, you will be able to see the link to that GoFundMe account where you can make a donation. But we understand that there have been families that have been displaced and Dealing with these kinds of situations are never easy and we all need to band together as much as we possibly can to ensure that we uplift each other in this time and that we do what we can do to help our fellow man. So to all those who have been affected or have family or friends that have been affected by Hurricane Dorian, we are praying for you. We want to support you in any way that we can um, and we wish you nothing but the best. And to those who may have had some effects here in the United States, in the lower part of the United States, the same uh, death. Um, and John Coyle, her GoFundMe is also like only, I think it's like a little over 8000 from their goal. Um, you know what GoFundMe is, you only get the money if you reach your goal. So everybody go to her page, click the link, donate, um, so we can make sure she hits her goal, which is really dope. Um, and yeah, definitely sending out, you know, prayers and everything to everybody that was affected by that. Absolutely. Dev, it was a great show. La China, y'all know how La China do. She she do like a quarter of the podcast and then she like bounces on us. <laughs> That's how La China do us. <laughs> she big time, man. That's what happens. She big time, right? You know what I mean? That's what it she is. She got stuff to do. She has stuff to do today. So she bounced out on us for the fourth quarter, but we love her anyway. Big thank you to Arike Ngumbawale for joining us. We appreciate her stopping by and giving us some time. Make sure that you guys are following us on social media. We are at Around the Rim Pod. You can also email us at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. LaChina is at LaChina Robinson. I am at She Knows Sports underscore dev is at miss peters 14 so you guys make sure that y'all continue to reach out to us talk to us we are very excited to see and hear what you guys will be talking about heading into the postseason anything else you got dev nah i'm good all right we out then thank you for listening to around the rim check out more podcasts from espn on the espn app